Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is taken for Colossians and can be found on page 1184. 1184. The reading is Colossians 3, verses 5 to 17. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, and let me add my welcome to Pete's. It's great to see you this morning. My name's Rob, and um, yeah, I hope to be able to get to know some of you afterwards. Is it warm in here, by the way? Is it warm in here? Yeah, I, I, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm wearing my fleece. I'm not, I've not got changed to preach. I'm so sorry. Could you talk amongst yourselves for a minute? I will be back. Talk amongst yourselves. You might want to ask why the person next to you wore what they wore this morning as well. I'll be, I'll be back.
should never wear that fleece under any circumstances, but um, <laughs> certainly not to preach. Anyway, I wonder how you feel about today's passage as it was read. Let me read the opening verse to you again. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Or what about verse 12? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I wonder, do you love those commands? Or do you hate them? Do you feel like today, at last, we're getting down to business in Colossians? My guess is that for some of you, going through all the theology of the last two and a half chapters, three chapters, has felt a little bit theoretical, intangible, and you're really glad that at last Paul's getting practical. It's a breath of fresh air. Others of you, though, might hear that list of things to put to death, and knowing how many times you have failed... You might just be dying a little bit inside at the thought of having to put them to death. Well, whether you're up for the fight or fatigued by your many failings, or perhaps a model of both those things, as many of us are, um, can I say that all of us need to hear these commands today in the context of the message of Colossians so far? What is that message? What have we actually been talking about uh, for the whole of term? Well, here's the central idea so far. We who believe in Christ are fully-fledged members of his kingdom, fully-fledged members. Before ever we do anything for him, and entirely because of what he has done for us. Do you see then that our energy to obey Christ's commands must not, indeed cannot, come from screwing up our powers to obey, separate from the gospel that Paul has been preaching to us. Rather, we can only find strength to kill off those bad things and put on the right things if we are assured and fully persuaded that we fully belong to the great King of heaven. Only because he, the great king, is also an all-sufficient saviour. Do you believe that? Let me see if I can sort of demonstrate what's been going on in Colossians so far with an illustration. Have you heard of um, Kate and Wills? Yeah, you heard of them? We've been celebrating the royals a lot recently, haven't we? Well, when Kate and Wills first got married, the tabloids, do you remember how they picked over her every behaviour? for signs that she wasn't a real royal. Even now, you can still find articles uh, that say that she doesn't obey royal etiquette. I read one this week that says she doesn't know how to hold a cup of tea properly, like a proper royal, because she uses two hands. (gasps) Heaven forfend. How can she be a proper royal, these tittle-tattle tabloids say? And do you see, that's a bit like what's been going on in Colossians. Remember how there were people in chapter 2, 2 verse 16. We heard about people who judged the Colossians for what they ate or drank. Or on whether they still followed the Old Testament religious calendar. 
And then in 2.18, we heard there were people disqualifying the Colossian Christians, saying, you're not proper Christians because you don't have supernatural uh, religious experiences like we do. And you can just imagine the Colossians, or perhaps Kate, thinking, do you know, why would I bother to get dressed this morning for royal service? I'm not a real royal. Look at all the ways I'm failing. I think I'll just stay in my pajamas and hide under the covers. You see, there are all sorts of misunderstandings that can flow from people judging us for not being the real royal deal. Perhaps, though, it's not not so much giving up for the Colossians that is their real danger, as much as thinking that they have to do something to secure their royal membership. You see, Kate and the Colossians, they could respond by saying, do you know what? I have to work harder and harder to make sure I follow all the right rules, to make sure I really am a member of the royal family. Well, Paul cuts through the mess and he says, look, listen, you who believe are certainly and fully members of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, fully and finally And everything you need for growth and maturity and fruitfulness is found in knowing that more and more. You see, Paul teaches that true Christian growth grows in the soil of assurance. It grows from being rooted in what Christ has done for us to make us members of his kingdom. What does Kate need? Surely she needs will to come along and convince her that she is royal. Not because she has followed some arbitrary rules or not, but because of who he is. Darling, I'm the heir to the throne. I'm the royal grandson. And you're married to me. You couldn't be more royal. Well, so the Son of God says to us in Colossians, I'm the heir to everything, heaven and earth, the past, the present, and the future. It's all mine. I'm the king of kings, and you are united to me. You couldn't be more royal if you tried. And so, being secure in your royal status, won't you put off the slippers and get dressed for royal service now? You're mine. You're mine. Come on, get the pills and twin set on. Time for another day of ribbon cutting. You see, we have to stay rooted in the gospel to hear today's passage rightly. Paul's not asking us to follow rules to secure our kingdom membership, but rather asking us to understand the security of our kingdom membership because of what Christ has done and is for us so that we are motivated to keep going in the battle. So that after our failures, we say, do you know what? That hasn't stopped me being a member of the kingdom. So I'm going to get back up and fight on. Now, I've labored that point in the introduction, haven't I? But it's so important. Can you see that? So important. If you don't understand the first thing about Christianity, so many people think, don't they, that Christianity is about obeying certain rules to become a member of the club. It's not. It's the other way around. Christ makes us members. Therefore, we long to live for him. And so our big point today is this. 
Assured you are Christ's, get changed and ready for royal service. Notice, actually, Paul uh, doesn't let up on his attempts to assure us of our true royal identity, even in today's reading. He's not moved on at all. If you thought today's reading was all about what you do and don't do, rules, 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 then listen again. Perhaps the strongest statement of the uh, new royal we is there in the middle of the passage. Did you see it in verses 10 and 11? It's like a hinge between the two halves of the passage, this. Have a listen. Verse 10. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, northerner or southerner, but Christ is all and is in all. Did you catch the reference to Genesis 1 there? If you have ever read Genesis, people made in the image of their creator, verse 10. Do you see, the point is, God is doing a new work of creation in you, the church, restoring you to be his royal children. He's remaking you in Christ. Christ who is himself, the image of the invisible God we heard in chapter 1. Do you see, it doesn't matter who you are by earthly measures, uh, what, what your ethnic or socio-economic identity is, it doesn't matter. Christ is all and in all. Christ says, don't you know that you're royal because you belong to me? And I am the Christ, the promised king, and you are mine. Assured that you are Christ's, get changed and ready for royal service. The passage then splits into two halves around that central idea. Uh, First of all, killing off what is old and earthly in 5 to 11, and later we'll see getting clothed in Christ. First of all then, kill off earthly desires and deeds. That's verses 5 to 11. Christians, you sometimes feel undermined, don't you, in your assurance by the way that sinful desires and deeds seem to still be so much a part of you. Don't you feel undermined sometimes? How can I still be a Christian when I keep doing this thing I know I'm not supposed to? And notice Paul doesn't actually deny that that should be part of your experience. He says you've still got an earthly nature. Verse 5, did you see? Verse 5, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Christian, you've got a kind of dual nature now, okay? You really are in Christ, in the kingdom of heaven, we heard last week, raised to a new heavenly existence spiritually, even though you can't see it yet. But you also still have an earthly nature. Paul doesn't deny it, and you know that truth only too well, don't you? Or am I the only person who keeps sinning in this room? But that nature is no longer what defines you. Because one day it will be gone. It might be alive and kicking today. But kick it out. Because it's not you anymore and won't be in eternity. All the things that we're told to kill off here, uh, they fall into two categories. It's interesting, isn't it? 
Um, first of all, uh, there's a list in verse 5, did you see it, that kind of zeroes in on dysfunctional desires, what's going on in my heart, as we move from sexual immorality and impurity to the desires that drive those behaviors, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Any desire for anything that makes you live in a way that God doesn't approve of is surely idolatry, isn't it? Do you see the point? We're to be so satisfied in him, so to long and desire God uh, that everything in our lives lines up with him. The way we consume, the way we use our bodies, everything flowing from ordered desires. So disordered desires are to be put to death. The second category is there in verse 8, and it's a list of destructive attitudes and actions towards others. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Notice then that Paul wants us to grow on every level, from our inner desires through to our external behaviors, what we do with our bodies, what we do with our words. He wants us to kill off hatred towards our neighbor and our idolatrous betrayal of God. Inward, outward, upward, and around. The change being called for here is all-encompassing. As we are to kill off whatever stops me worshipping God and loving you guys. I wonder, have you ever been doing something feeling it was normal? Only to then see somebody else's response to it and be woken up to the fact that it's not normal. I experienced that a lot walking into church in that fleece this morning. Um, thank you, Harry, particularly, for your response. Uh, that was very kind. Um, it wasn't really, just in case you're wondering. Anyway, the fleece is gone. But sometimes it does take somebody else's response to something we're doing to wake us up to what it really is we're doing, doesn't it? I remember a conversation between a couple of friends who were talking about pornography, two Christian people who didn't want to look at pornography. But one was flagging in the battle to put porn to death. Now the other, in an attempt to help himself, had been doing some research into the porn industry, into the exploitation and damage it causes. And as he spoke about what he was discovering, he was literally just weeping. And my other friend who watched him weeping said that there was... That was just simply the most helpful thing anyone had ever done for him in the battle because it woke him up to how horrific that behavior was. But you know what? Above all, it's not our responses to one another's behaviors that will wake us up, but God's response. Did you see it? God's response in this passage. It's there in verse 6. Because of all these things in these lists, the wrath of God is coming. You see, if it weren't for the gospel, that would be a terrifying thing to think about, wouldn't it? That's partly why we need to be so grounded in this fact. We really are forgiven by Christ. We're secure in his kingdom. But knowing that then allows us to read that verse and really meditate on it. To look, as it were, at the expression on God's face as he thinks about these behaviors. He hates them. He's so grieved by them that the, the wrath 
that he has is going to overflow on this world one day. It's not a comfortable thing to think about, is it? But we need to wake up in the light of his response to what these behaviors really are, what these attitudes and desires really are. Please wake up. But you know, above all, wake up because these aren't your behaviors anymore. They don't belong to you. You don't belong to them. The dominion of darkness is over. The kingdom of light has come and you belong to the heavenly light, the breaking of the day, not to the night that is now passing. Get your pajamas off. Get dressed properly. And so we move on to verses 12 to 17. Clothe yourselves in Christ. Now hopefully even without my um, rather daft illustration at the beginning of today's sermon, we all get this, don't we? Uh, We all want to turn up dressed properly for the wedding, don't we? I mean, how embarrassing. You just feel awkward if you're the only one in joggers and everyone else is in a suit, don't you? Imagine I'd um, had worn my garish fleece all through this morning. I was going to actually do the first half of the sermon like that, but I know that some of you here feel so strongly that it would be utterly inappropriate uh, for me not to be wearing a check shirt that I thought for your sake I would... (laughs) Um, put that on. You see, when our clothing doesn't match up to who we are and where we are, then we naturally want to change, don't we? I'm a member of the preaching team at Fullwood, teaching you God's word this morning, chinos, that's the unofficial uniform. I was at a wedding yesterday, and um, somebody was telling me how I did a brilliant sermon on Colossians the other week. I was like, I haven't preached on Colossians. And then I worked out it was the week that Pete and I actually turned up literally wearing the same outfit, cream chinos, blue check shirt, and a brown jacket. Anyway, there you go. Of course, others of you, and Joey, I'm looking at you in your trainers. Where is he? There he is. Uh, might think that my calling actually as a church leader is to make everyone feel welcomed by keeping the joggers on. Still others of you might think, check shirts, not smart enough, where's the dog collar? And you know, actually, that is an important conversation. I want to have that conversation with you. It's about how we welcome one another as Christians with our different ideas. Uh, And a question about how we welcome people who don't normally come to church so that they know when they come here, it's not a matter of what you wear faith in Christ. I want to have that conversation. But you know, above all, I want to talk about the clothes in verses 12 to 17. Here are the clothes that all of us must wear. Whatever we're doing on a Sunday, Sunday morning, all of us who call ourselves Christians, we all ought to be wearing the same thing because we have the same identity, royal children, Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, hold on a second there, I'm not going to tell you what we're to clothe ourselves with until we've actually just paused over that verse. I mean, do you actually believe what I just read? Let's look at it again. As God's chosen people, he's picked you who believe To be his people. He says, I am your God. You are mine. Do you believe it? Holy. 
And again, no, God is not in denial about our misdeeds and our misdirected desires. He knows we still have an earthly nature, but he's also torn up the charge sheet against us, nailing it to the cross. That's what he told us, so that in Christ he might present us to himself as holy. Do you believe it? That that's what he sees when he looks at you now? Dearly loved. Not just loved, dearly loved. He loves you if you believe in Christ, dearly. So, verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, no matter what I wear up here, please know I don't care what you out there wear. Wear what you want, as long as you wear these things. Do you know the list of people that Paul mentions? It includes um, people from the Roman Empire, the Greeks. He doesn't mean by that people who are ethnically Greek. He means people influenced by Greek culture, people across the whole Roman Empire, which look back to the Greek culture for its kind of social customs. They'd go around wearing togas. And then there are Scythians, aren't there? Do you know what the Scythians wore? Well, for a start, they were heavily tattooed. Heavily tattooed. And they wore riding tunics and felt caps. They were on the fringes of the Roman Empire, considered enemies of the Roman Empire. And do you know what? He doesn't care what you're wearing. If you believe in Christ, Christ is all and is in all. So dress yourself like this. Compassion. What is compassion? Feeling for and with another person. Entering into their joys and sorrows. As Christ has entered into your sorrows. By his compassion being stirred up to come and save you. No longer a person who cares only for themselves, but someone tender-hearted to others. Kindness. Doing good to others, seeking and promoting the well-being of others, perhaps at cost to yourself. Humility, no longer asserting yourself above others or thinking of yourself as the center of the universe, but grasping that you are, well, yes, dearly, dearly loved, but ultimately just a very small part of the puzzle of the universe. Gentleness, not being rough and tough with others, but caring for them tenderly, Handling people with care. A bit like a parent might be handling a young Reuben this morning. And patience. Not giving up on people, but persevering with them. Not giving up on them even if their growth is slow and painful, because you know yours is too. Not giving up on them even if your external differences with them constantly cause friction. You like jerkins, they like jumpers, and it really grates on you. Be patient. What a beautiful outfit this is, isn't it? It's an outfit fit for heaven, which is where your true life really is, said Paul last week. In Christ, waiting to be revealed. But just to make sure we really get it, do you know what Paul does? He does something rather uncomfortable. He grounds this kind of basic outfit in a case study. Um, Don't fall asleep, Al. Come on, hang in there with me. Be patient. Verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. 
If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you see the case study? He picks out a grudge in the church. Now, of course, this is forward church. Nobody here would ever have a grudge with, against anybody, would they? Well, I'm afraid this is a church. So, of course, they would. That's just the reality of church life. And the real test of whether you've actually got dressed properly for church comes when you have this kind of grievance against somebody. Are you dressed? Or did you forget to get dressed properly this morning? Are you slandering somebody in the congregation because of your grievance against them? Perhaps just a whispered word in a mutual friend's ear about how despicably they behaved. Or are you showing them the kindness of actually seeking them out and seeking to reconcile and forgive? Not pretending that nothing has happened, that's not the way to forgive, but naming the grievance and working it through. Working it through with compassion, right? Entering into their uh, feelings and their understanding of the situation, listening to them humbly, trying to understand their point of view, patiently, gently, trying to iron out the grievance, clothing yourself in the forgiveness of Christ himself. Verse 13, just as the Lord forgave you. Don't come to church half-dressed. Don't come to church dressed in the wrong thing. That would be so embarrassing, wouldn't it? Verse 14, get your love on. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, Love, that's the key thing to wear, isn't it? The denim jacket that sets off the whole piece. The statement piece of jewellery that just brings the whole outfit alive. Or if you're a stereotypical bloke this morning and have a slightly more pragmatic approach to clothing, it's like the belt that keeps your trousers up and your shirt tucked in. Okay? It's the thing that holds the whole outfit together in the Christian life. Love. So interesting, isn't it? I think so many of us are tempted to measure our Christian life by whether we're still doing that wrong behavior that we'd love to dearly get rid of. Oh, I snapped again this morning. Or I broke and looked at that website again this week. And you know, it's right that in some ways we should measure our growth by the things we shouldn't do and whether we are still doing them. But do we also measure our growth by the things that we should do? Are we loving one another? Are we loving one another? I read an article this week that claims, now, now you hold on to your seats because this is quite shocking. The queen cares more about the fact that Kate loves her grandson than about how she holds a mug. Isn't that incredible? Well, how much more do you think the king of love cares about your love for God and for one another? Well, Paul finishes this morning with three rallying cries to royal service. Each one could be a sermon, but we've only got two minutes, so it won't be today. But can I urge you to maybe take each one as a meditation for a quiet time this week? As you remind yourself of who you are in Christ and what he calls you to do. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. 
Again, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it, to note in this passage that if Paul has to call us to peace as a church, that implies that division and war is an ever-present danger for every church. You know, don't think that anything unusual has happened to us if you see that amongst us. But, says Paul, remember who you are. One body. Christ's one body. United together with one another because you're all united in him. So live in peace. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do you see? It is not just Paul's job or mine, or Andy's, or Paula's, or Steph's, or Pete's, or Matt's, or Ben's job to keep teaching you guys that you belong to Christ now, that he loves you, so live for him. It's everybody's job. Teach and admonish one another. And so can I say, if you've been struggling to get your head around Colossians, and you're not sure you could teach this book to one another yet, because you haven't understood it, then partly that's probably our fault for not teaching it as well as we ought but you've still got a responsibility to go away and read some books on it to keep digging into it to understand it so that as Paul preached Christ with all wisdom he said back in chapter one so you might teach one another with all wisdom he sets the bar high doesn't he are you ready to teach one another and did you notice Uh, Finally, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If Christ is your life and you are a believer in him, then all of life is to be lived with him and for him. Now, just as we close, finally, finally, did you notice how each one of these last three rallying cries ends? It's really interesting. Thanks to God. Be thankful, verse 15. End of 16, singing with gratitude to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through the Lord Jesus. Thankfulness. Why thankfulness? Thankfulness, that feeling of joyful surprise and appreciation of someone's unlooked for, unmerited kindness. I didn't deserve that. Thank you. I wonder, have you experienced that recently towards God for what he's given you in Christ? Pray that you would understand Colossians at last if you haven't, because surely by now we ought to be feeling that way. Look at what he's given us, the kingdom of heaven. Do you know, thankfulness, there is a good measure of Christian growth, isn't it? You see, if you're not growing in gratitude, I want to say you're not growing Even if your behaviors have changed, maybe they've changed because you feel you have to change to secure your membership. And that kind of motivation to grow is a thankless task because you're never quite sure if you've made the grade. But if you know the gospel, that you have been saved not by your merits, but by the merits of Christ, and that you have an eternal inheritance waiting for you, then surely you would be a person who gives thanks, wouldn't you? And giving thanks, you would know that your growth is being motivated by real belief. Keep going. But if you don't see that thankfulness, come back to the gospel. 
Father, we pray so much that you would help each of us to do that daily. Please help us to believe the gospel of Christ, to know all that you've given us in him and by uniting us with him. And so please keep us growing out of thankful hearts and secure assurance that we are fully fledged members of the kingdom of your beloved son. Help us, we pray. Amen.